Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Father, let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for your presence in this place. God, I thank you for that that rush of love that you've even brought into this room this morning. God, for your love for each one here. And God, I just ask that you would anoint me this morning, God, because I can't do this without you. So Father, I just thank you, Father, that you would so saturate my words, Father, that they would hear what you're saying to them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning, we're going to talk, uh, my message is called Come to the Table. So we're going to talk about um, the table and what that means to come to the table. And I'm going to start out um, by, by grabbing your focus. And I want you to really pay attention. I'm going to read four scriptures, and they're going to be up there. And I want you to see if you can recognize the theme. So I'm giving you engaging homework right off the bat. So you can follow along. I'm going to start in Matthew 5, verse 6. It said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Then Isaiah 55, 1 and 2 says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Erin's excited because she's getting lots of lobster this week. So the richest affair. All right, Matthew 6, verses 25 and 33. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And the last one, are you getting the theme? Okay. The last one is Psalm 34, 8 through 10. It says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. So does anybody know what the theme was? Food. Hunger. Hunger and thirst, there's probably multiple themes, but those are the ones I was after. Food, it's talking about eating. So we're going to have a, a, no, we're not eating today, sorry. I didn't, you can have gum, that's what I have. So the theme is each one talks about being hungry, but it also talks about being filled. And so that's what I'm going to talk about today. Um, And so by the end, all of our stomachs will be grumbling as we talk about this topic. But um, so, so the table That's, we don't, actually, most people probably don't eat at the table anymore. But traditionally, we come to the table and we eat, right? So there are two things that we find when we come around the table. One of those things is connection. Now, how many of you have heard me say this word this year? I've said connection many, many times. It's been a theme for us. It's been a a passion of mine for this year. So when you come around the table, one of the things that you find is connection, and I had just two quick funny stories about the table and, how, and what, 
what happened. Life happens at the table, to sound really cliche about it. But um, there's an infamous story in my mom's family. She's one of five, and they have this big, long dining room table. And so when she was younger, they were all sitting at the table, and my grandpa would sit at one end, and my grandma would sit at the other. And it was a customary practice in their family at the table that if you needed something from one end of the table, you would just toss it to the other side of the table, like loaves of bread, things that weren't going to make a mess. You would just throw it across. That was just customary. You know, we all have our customs. So one day, my grandpa wanted um, an ear of corn from the table, which was over on my grandma's side. So my grandma picks up the ear of corn, chucks it his way, hits him right in the forehead and draws blood. (laughs) So it's just an infamous story, something that happened around the table. Be careful what you're passing. If it's got that, that long, pointy end to it. But another story is my, my family, we've had the same dining room table. My parents have had the same dining room table my whole life. So I'm almost 30, so it was almost 30 years old. So the, this table was solid wood. And one day, um, we had gathered at my parents' house, as we often do, and we were playing a game called Dutch Blitz. If you've ever played Dutch Blitz, it gets a little severe. It gets a little unsafe at times. And so that we are, they're playing a game of Dutch Blitz, and everybody's slapping. You have, you have to, like, get in the middle and slap the table. The table breaks in half <laughs> and falls on Danielle's knee and did some damage. But that was the end of that table. And my parents just got a new table, and we went over, and they said, no Dutch Blitz on this table. So those are just two funny stories, but a lot of life happens around the table. A lot of connection happens around the table, Um, and so it's a place of feeling connected. It should be. It's a place of belonging. It's a place where everybody has a a, a seat. Everybody has a a space. So uh, I want to look, because it's very biblical, I want to look at Acts 2, 42 through 46, and this is the early church, the very first church. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So we... Uh, we think of the church sometimes as coming in and hearing the word and then going out and we'll see you again next Sunday, right? But uh, a, a big part of being a body of Christ, being a family of Christ, is also that element of it's hearing the word and eating together and fellowshipping together. So connection is actually in, woven in the very foundations of the church. Um, and so it is important, and I will continue to champion it. I'm not talking about connection today, but I had to throw it in there because it's just something I'm going to keep talking about forever and ever probably because it's just a message that's on my life. But so you find connection at the table. What's the other thing that you find at the table? What is it? Food. Hopefully you'll find food at the table. So you find sustenance at the table. It's where you find the, the need to nourish your action, your activity. How many of you don't do well when you're not sustained by food? The, hang, the hangry term is real. So I want to look today at what it means to be sustained. So the word sustained, which you can see up there, is to supply with food, drink, or other necessities of life, to support, hold, or bear the weight of, to keep a person from giving way or yielding under trial and affliction, to keep up or to keep going. 
So with those definitions, how many of you want to be sustained? So this is what I've been learning about in life. I'm going to be personal with you because I have a hard time not being. If you haven't noticed, I'm probably going to cry today. But I was crying. I told Danielle I was crying while I was putting my makeup on. Have you ever done that, ladies? It's counterproductive. So, but the Lord has been teaching me what it is for him to sustain my life. And I remember, uh, how many of you remember when Todd White was here about 10 years ago? I know some, some of you. Todd White was here uh, for a youth conference. And the one session, probably his first session with us, he came in and he opens up. And he's like, you know, if you've ever seen Todd White, he comes in and he goes, I'm in love with a man. Like, hard stop. So it gets your attention. He goes, and his name is Jesus. And so that, that has just been like coming back to me because I've been falling so in love with the person of Jesus and who he is. And, um, you know, especially if you've grown up in church, which I did, I grew up here. I was here every time the doors were open. But you learn really quick as a kid when somebody asks you, when your parent asks you what you learned in class or when you're in class and they ask you what the answer is, it's pretty safe that even if you weren't paying attention, if you say Jesus, what are they going to say? <laughs> like, no, Jesus is not the right answer. So you learn pretty quickly that if you say Jesus, you've got the right answer. But the thing is that that's actually one of the biggest lessons we'll ever learn in our life. That if Jesus is the answer, we've got it. We've already got it. We've got the right answer. If whatever happens, whatever the questions are that we have, whatever the struggles are that we have, Jesus is always going to be the right answer. And so we learn those things as, as little kids, and we learn them as we're growing up. Um, those like, okay, I know the right answer. But when we actually know it inside of us and not just here, but we know that Jesus is the thing that sustains us, it actually sets us up for everything if we just go back to him. So I've been learning that my life actually depends on my connection with him. And so um, here's where the, the personal parts come in. This uh, year, can I be vulnerable? Okay. Didn't feel totally safe, but we're going to go for it anyway. So um, this year has actually been probably the hardest season I've ever walked through in my whole life. And um, like probably any person in this room, I've experienced trauma in my life. I've experienced really hard things that I've ha had to deal with, um, things going on around me, as probably every single person in this room has. Um, but this year, the unique thing is everything around me is actually going great. I have less stress on me externally. There's no trauma happening around me. Nothing externally has been wrong, but on the inside of me has been um, the, the biggest battle and the biggest struggle that I've, that I've ever faced in my life. And so through that, I've had to learn over and over and I'm continuing to learn over and over what it looks like for him to sustain me through that hard time. And so, um, so when we go through these hard times, sometimes... Um, I am a processor. I don't know if that's you. We were talking this morning about some of us are more like just do it, and some of us really think it through. I'm a really think it through kind of a person. And so when we go through something, a struggle, um, sometimes we can really want to rationalize it and figure out what it is, what's going on. And so some people, especially like 
as church folks, we would say, well, the Lord is leading me through this to teach me a lesson. And so I've gone through that process, but actually I don't believe the Lord ever leads us. The Bible says he does not. It's impossible for him to be tempted and he does not lead us into temptation. And so I don't believe the Lord has led me through this, but how many of you know that the Lord will always work all things together for our good because we love him and we're called according to his purpose. And then sometimes we can say, well, this is just the enemy. The enemy is attacking me because I'm right on the verge of breakthrough. How many of you ever heard that? How many of you ever said that? Okay. So I believe that, there are, that that is true. I also believe that the enemy is really good at what he does. His whole purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy from your life. His whole purpose. And guess what? He's really good at his job. So it doesn't matter if it ups, downs, good, bad. His whole job always, always, always is to kill, steal, and destroy from your life. So um, now I, have, I, I believe that, yes, the enemy is always trying to attack me. He's always trying to attack you. He's a jerk. He's like the worst. He's always trying to kill, steal, and destroy. But how many of you know that he's always defeated? He's always under our feet. So, um, yes, I believe the enemy is really good at his job, but sometimes I think we put a little more attention on, oh, the enemy, it's the enemy, it's the enemy, it's the enemy, it's the enemy. Well, guess what? He's always going to be the enemy. Always. It doesn't matter what season you're in. He's always going to be killing, stealing, and destroying from your life. But so in the midst of that, I said, okay, God, yes, the enemy is, is nervous. He doesn't want me to do what I'm doing. But guess what? He's always, always defeated. And so this is me trying to process, trying to figure it out, because that's who I am. I like to fix problems. I like to find out what's wrong. So if something's wrong inside of me, I want to know why, and I want to fix it. It's just who I am. It's who he made me to be. But the thing about this season is I actually can't figure it out. I can't, I can't. I don't know. I don't know what it is. And so I've driven myself mad trying to figure it out, trying to over-process, over-analyze, figure out everything that I need to do, everything that's going on around me, everything that is going wrong. But guess what? I can't figure it out. And it's been the most frustrating thing for me because I want to figure it out. Like, how, like, how can I not figure this out? Do I need to go to school? Like, what is it? But I can't figure it out. So in the midst of this, the Lord has, has said, okay, You've done all that you know to do to try to figure this out. And I have. I've done, I believe that we are a person who is body, soul, and spirit. I believe that those three are never separated. And so I've done things like gotten my hormones checked. I don't know about you, but ladies, sometimes it is like something must be wrong. Because it's just like, whoa. So I got my hormones checked. I'm fine taking some vitamins now, but so I did that. That's your body work. You've got to do the body work, the soul work. So I've gone and I've done inner healing and I've talked to counselors and I have done the soul work that I know to do. How many of you have a soul? And sometimes it needs some work. It needs some help, right? And then you've got your spirit. Your spirit always has to be in tune with him. It always does. But sometimes we try to fix a body problem with a spirit answer where actually we just need to go get our hormones checked. Or like, we just need, you know, to sleep more, or to eat more, or to drink more water. So I believe in the totality of body, soul, and spirit, and all those things. And, but in this time, in this, this year of me trying to do all that I know to do, we have to do that. We have to do the work. We've got to, we need body, soul, and spirit. We need to pay attention and honor all three of those. But in the midst of me doing that, I've learned I still can't figure it out. I still don't know what it is. How many of you would be frustrated at that? Like, so frustrating. But guess what? The Lord said, okay, now that you've done all that you know to do, 
how about you just come and sit with me at the table and let me show you that even when you feel empty, my cu- your cup still overflows. And so it's just been this journey of me with the Lord going and saying, I actually don't know. I don't have the answers. But I know that he's always the right answer. Jesus is always the right answer. He's the one who will fill our cup. And guess what? I don't like it. I don't like that I can't fix my own problems. I'm just telling you the truth. Like I like call it pride or whatever you want to call it. I, I want to fix my own problems. Like I am strong. I'm not broken. I'm like successful. Let's do it. Let's fix it. Let's conquer. And I can't figure it out. And I don't like it. So it's, it's been like, okay, God. Okay. Okay. I don't know. And then I'll be like, Lord, you're so good. I'll be like in his presence. I'll be sitting at the table. And then like I'll see something out of the corner of my eye. i be like, I bet you that's it. And then I'll get up and I'll try to fix it. And then I'll get really frustrated because I can't fix it. And it's like, oh, right, 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 right. I got distracted. Let's come back to the table. Let's come sit and let him remind me that actually even when I feel empty, my cup is still overflowing because that's his promise to us. So I've been learning over and over again. It's continual process that I have to stay at the table with God. I have to come and I have to sit there and I have to stay. And I have to allow him to be the thing that sustains my life because in all of my great efforts, I still can't do it on my own. I cannot figure it out. And so I've just been learning. I've got to come. I've got to come to the table, and I have to sit, and I have to let him to sustain me. Now, I just want to make it clear that this message, though there is a place for this message, this message is not about stopping what you're doing and learning to rest. Love those messages. They're great. That's not what this message is about. Coming to the table and being sustained by God does, is not a, um, a reprimand against working too hard or against the doing, because God loves the doing. This, so, and if, as an example, or just to tell you a little bit more about me, I don't, you know soaking? Do you know what soaking is? The soaking move of God, where you, you come and you're quiet and you put on worship music and you just soak before him? Love it. It's awesome. I, I hate it. I'm not good at it. Like, I I really am not. If you are, I love you. You're wonderful. It's awesome. I encourage you to do it. For me, if I go into a quiet room and put on worship music, you've just set the stage for a really great nap. Like, thank you. I will sleep in the presence of God. Because I'm a doer, right? Like, I'm a a go-getter. I'm like an active person. So, now... So this message is not about, like, we have to go learn to get away and rest in his presence. Do we have to do that? Yes, absolutely. But I'm just, that's not the point this morning. Um, And to go further in that, how many of you know Mary and Martha in the Bible? How many of you have ever thought that Martha was the bad one and Mary was the good one? Have you ever just maybe subconsciously, like, oh, right, like, Mary got it. Like, Jesus is like, yay, Mary. Martha needs to chill out, like. But if you actually read the story, so if you're not familiar with the story, there's two sisters. um, Jesus goes to their house, and Martha is, like, cooking, cleaning, getting the house ready. She's very, she's a hostess. She's very um, organized, very excellent, wants to get things done, and wants to be a good host for her guests. Here's Jesus coming, and I'm sure Jesus is not alone. And Jesus goes to, or Martha goes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, don't you care that Mary's sitting over there not doing anything and I'm like sweating and running around? Don't you care? And I love Martha. Like, I, I'm a Martha. 
I love Martha. Because, and I, like that would be my tendency. Like, um, excuse me? Like, lazy? Like, what are you doing? Like, somebody, please help me. So, like, I'm a Martha. And so, um, so Martha goes, Jesus, don't like, aren't you going to do something? Read it. That's what it says. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and she's just being with Jesus, just having that quality time with Jesus. And Jesus, if you read it, never tells Martha to sit down. He never tells her to stop working. He never tells her to cool out, like chill out. He never tells her to do that. Instead, he says, what you're doing, I believe that Jesus really honored. He honors Martha. He honors his work. Jesus, like God made her that way. He made me that way. So I'm a big fan of Martha. But um, so so Jesus honored what she was doing because he never told her to stop. But what he said was, Mary is looking at the most important thing. And if you keep doing what you're doing, missing the very most important thing in the room, you're going to burn out and you're going to miss it. Because Jesus has to always be the most important thing in the room. So it's not just, it's not about stopping. Jesus didn't tell her to stop. He said, no, you need to seek me above what you're doing. It's not just about the doing. If you're doing just for doing's sake, then you've missed it. And how sad it is to miss Jesus when he's in the room. As much as we're, as much as our heart is to, to please and to, to be excellent before him, and I believe he honors every intention of our heart. But if we do it and we miss the main point, if we miss Jesus in the room, then we're just going to be tired and we're going to burn out. We're going we're gonna to miss what he has for us. So both Mary and Martha are in the room with Jesus, and he says, I am the most important thing in this room. Make sure you're not missing that. And so that's what the Lord has been um, also teaching me. He's like, yes, I love your heart to do. I love it. He, he has never once said, you need to go lay in your room or somewhere and just put on worship music and be quiet. Again, it's awesome if you do that. But for me, it's in the middle of my work. It's when I'm working and doing the, the routine things. It's doing the building, the advancing. And the Lord says, remember, I'm, I'm in the room. Remember, I'm first. I have to be most. Because if he's not, then I'm going to burn out. And that struggle, that internal battle, those wars going on inside of me are going to overtake me. And he doesn't want that for any of us. He doesn't want us to be um, going and missing the, the very point, the very thing that will sustain our lives, whether we're in good times or in bad times. So we have to remember that he's in the room and he always has to be first and most. He has to be that thing that sustains us. And so let's look at John, John 15, 4 through 5. Familiar verse to many of us. It says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. This verse is talking about bearing fruit. So that must mean Jesus isn't against us working, right? Like we, we are producing fruit. How do we do that? We have to stay connected to the vine. We, we're, we, we can produce empty fruit, fruit that's going to die. Or we can produce the fruit of our life. When we're connected to the vine, we're connected to who he is. And it actually says that the Father is glorified when we bear much fruit. So keep doing, keep going. Sometimes I think, I think that has also been a, a big, big um, lesson that I've learned in the Lord. When you don't know what to do, keep going. 
keep doing what you know to do. Keep making steps. Maybe you don't know what's, like, what the next step is. Just keep going. Keep going because we're called to bear fruit. We just can't keep going without him. We have to stay connected to the vine, whatever we're doing. We have to stay connected to him. He's the most important thing in the room. And so the biggest prayer of my life has been in this time, um, I, thank you, I thank you, Father, that you're always with me, no matter where I am. So whatever I'm doing, like, and I, I don't even know that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But there's a difference of knowing that and actually recognizing it. It's like I've become so consciously aware that everywhere that I am that he is there. So everywhere that I am, just under my breath, just, Father, I think you are always with me. I think you are always with me. That's why when I started, I said, I can't do this without you. I actually can't do this without knowing that you're in the room. Because in this season, in this time, which I don't believe is a season. I actually don't believe that, what, like, the season, we say season. Season is a season of breakthrough. It's a season of this. But I don't believe that the lessons that I'm learning about his nearness are going to fade or end when the struggle do. It's actually something that I'm going to live for the rest of eternity. It says that we're going to be in heaven uh, focused on him, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who, is, who was and is and is to come. We're going to be doing that because we're always going to be learning that there's more of him. We're always going to be recognizing that he's in the room. We're always going to be seeing new facets of his glory and who he is, but we don't have to wait until heaven to do that. It's going to be just this continual process, this continual journey of life and eternity of saying, you're here, you're here. And it's the most important thing. It's the most important thing I could do with my whole life is to know that you're here and you're the thing that sustains me. You're the thing that matters the most. You're the thing I place first in my life. And so that's just where I've been. I have to know that he's with me. And so that's just been my prayer all the time. So like when that, that thing starts to like stir in me, that anxiety starts to build in me, Jesus, I think that you're always with me. I think that you're always with me. And another thing, sorry, I'm rabbit trailing a lot, but another thing that, um, that I've found helpful that I do is recognize the, the multifacets of God. Because sometimes you need the warrior God in the room. Sometimes you need faithful God in the room. Sometimes you need friend God in the room. And so when I'm feeling something specific, I can say, okay, friend, like I, Holy Spirit, I need you as a friend right now. Like Holy Spirit, I, I need your counselor nature right now. And I just really encourage you to even do that because as you do that, um, yes, if you, if you just say, God, I need you, he, he knows what you need already. But there's just something about when you call on a specific aspect of who he is, of his nature, that he'll come and meet you and just, it like almost, it, it speaks to your mind as well as your spirit. You're like, okay, I need counsel. The Lord is my counselor. And that counsel like, can seep in uh, in a new way because we're seeking specific, that specific aspect of who he is. Okay, back to notes. Uh, Lamentations, how many of you read Lamentations often? You know what it is to lament? It's like, it's a bad day. You're mourning, you're grieving, you're like, ah! So Lamentations 3, 19 through 24 says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Some translations say, I will hope in him. 
It's that communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that actually keeps us going. It's that 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 bears us up. It sustains us. It supplies us with the necessities of life. David said in Psalms, he says, You alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Which really tells me that when you stay in him, any uncertainty or fear that you have about the future will dissolve because you know that he sustains your lot. He's your portion and your cup. He's the one who prepares the way for you. So when you stay connected to him, that fear really has to fade away. And this reminded me, how many of you know, um, I think it's the Doris Day, que sera, sera, that Doris Day. How many of you know that song? So... My mom, great faith-building mom, would not let us sing that as song as kids because the song says, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see, que sera, sera. My mom's like, excuse me, you're children of God. <laughs> like, you actually can prophesy your future. So she wouldn't let us sing it. And I think one of my sisters made up like a revision that fit her, that fit the theology. But sometimes we say, well, the future is not mine to see. I don't know what's going to happen. We get that uncertainty before us. And guess what? When you know that he's your portion in your cup, when you know that he is the first and the most, those fears have to bow. That anything that tries to place itself above the lordship of, of Christ has to bow its knee when you put him first and when you put him most. So the thing I always come back to in life um, is if it isn't him, it isn't worth it. Sometimes that hurts. But if it isn't him, it isn't worth it. It will never be. As good as it is, it will never be worth it if it isn't him. If he isn't there, if he isn't in the midst of it. And that's not a fear thing. That's a just, that's a knowing that he is everything. That he's first and that he is most. So I've told this story before, but um, a couple years ago I got... Um, I, cause we had had interns for quite a while and they would do the cleaning bless interns. And so we didn't have an intern for this year. And so I was back to doing the cleaning. I hate cleaning. Like it's so annoying. You clean and it gets dirty again. Like that's not productive. <laughs> so I was vacuuming the carpet in, out in the hallway and I'm complaining like, like, God, this is whole, like, why am I doing this again? Can we not like send an intern Lord? Like. So I'm complaining to the Lord. Just how many of you complain ever? Great. Some of you are honest. Some of you are not. So I'm complaining while I'm vacuuming. I'm getting frustrated. And how many of you know that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? So while I'm complaining, the Lord met me because he's kind. And he, he just kind of like reminded me that he was in the room. And he corrected me for complaining. And the next thing I know, I'm bent over a toilet, scrubbing a toilet, crying into the toilet. Because I knew it was like, the Lord is here. Why are you complaining? Complaining can't stand because he became first. I forgot. And he, he came down, but then he became first. And I said, God, if I'm cleaning toilets for the rest of my life and you're here, that's it. That's all I need. That's all I need. Because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. His kindness, he's so good to us. He only corrects us when it's killing us. He only corrects us in things that are, are hurting us. And we hurt ourselves when he's not first. But he's kind, and he'll lead us back. This, just this week, he slapped me in the face. You're like, oh, God wouldn't do that. Yeah, he does. He's so kind that he'll correct us. And it, it corrected me, and I had to shift. 
I had to make him first again because he reminded me that sometimes I'm looking and comparing myself to other people when he actually hasn't called me to do that. And so I had to say, oh, right, right, right. And he said, remember, I've given you a good life to live. And then I'm, I'm now walking that out. So sometimes he slaps us in the face, but I'll always only do that because what we're, what, that behavior is hurting us. And he wants us to remember that he's in the room and that he has to be first. He has to be most. So every frustration and every irritation, this is a big statement. Every frustration, every irritation that we ever have cannot bear the weight of his presence when we invite him into the situation. All we have to do is say, okay, God, you're first, you're most. And like, try, try to give thanks to God. Try to praise God and complain at the same time. Like if you look at the Psalms, David complains a lot. He whines a lot. But then he has to shift and he has to praise God. You can't do both at the same time. It's either one or the other. So whenever we're in that, whether the Lord calls you out or whether you just dig yourself out, you have to remember he's first, he's most, he's the only thing that matters. So this was a side note. The fastest way to correct a bad attitude or combat complaining is with gratitude or praise. So just carry that in your pocket. When we cultivate a dependence on the person of the Holy Spirit and learn to come to the table and commune with him no matter what, he will not only sustain you but fill you to overflowing. Psalm 23, 5 through 6 says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what is that verse? I love this verse because when you come to the table, it doesn't mean that everything around you comes to peace. It says, in the presence of my enemies. No matter what is going on around me, coming, sitting at the table doesn't eliminate the external. It just means, oh, now I can see that he fills my cup. He's the one that sustains me. He's the one who is the, the very essence of my life, of what it was always meant to be. I find it there. I find it when I'm, when I'm intimate, when I'm, at, when I'm communing with him, when I'm in his presence. So I also just wanted to say, this is not the, the um, coming to the table is not just about when everything, when you're struggling. Because um, a lot of times we get messages about what to do when we're struggling. And we struggle a lot. So, fair. But even I know for me that when things are actually going great, I'm a lot less clingy with the Holy Spirit. Like, it's just, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got this. And I just kind of pull back a little bit. And then when things are in the depths of despair, you're like, God, where are you? Like, we just, we just do it. We're just people. We're humans. But it's actually not just for when things are bad. It's actually all the time. It's when things are good and when they're bad. To cling to him, to learn that he will always sustain us. And then guess what? When you're on the mountaintop and your, your attention is on him and your focus is having him the most, what can he show us? What can he do for us? What, what goodness does he want to pour out on us to show us that he will always overflow our cup? So it's not just about when things are bad, when things are hard. Uh, we have to, to learn to stay at the table in our hearts. We have to learn to be in constant communion with him at all times. Um, that's why David says, to don't forget his benefits. Because he's always the one that sustains us in the good and the bad. And I remember um, when I was first um, moving out of my parents' house and um, was going to rent a place. And I was talking with a landlord. And... Um, 
And I just remember my dad being a loving, caring father. He said, are you sure you can afford this? Like, like practically speaking, like, am I going to have to, like, are you going to be back? <laughs> and no, my dad actually would love it if I moved back home. But, um, but he asks me, like, are you sure you can afford this? And I just remember coming out of my mouth. I said, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I said, I either believe it or I don't. And I think I shocked myself because that like stuck with me because it just came out of my mouth. But it's like, you know what, guys, we either believe it or we don't. It's like when things are good, we either believe it or we don't. When things are bad, we either believe it or we don't. Like he either is our source or he isn't. And so like that seems like there's not grace in that, but there's absolutely grace in that because it will always lead us back to him. But it's just this thing that the Lord's just been cultivating inside of me. It's like, do you know my goodness? Like, will you, will you let me be the first and the most? When you can't figure it out, when you don't know what the solution is, can I be your solution? Will I be your solution? Am I your solution? Am I the thing that you run to? Am I the thing that you cling to? Because nothing else matters if it isn't him. And I think this sound, it can sound like a lofty message. It can even sound like a condemning message of, oh, well, I'm not there or I should be better. But it's not that at all. It's just about knowing that he is everything. It's just about always, always learning to go back to him, always learning to go back and cling to him, to sit at that table, to let, us, let him be our daily bread. Uh, the Lord says, the Lord's prayer says, um, you know, give me this day my daily bread. That's because we need him in order to survive. In order for us to survive in the fullness of how he's created us to live, to be fully sustained, we have to feast on the, the, the bread of God, that word, whether it's written or whether it's spoken. I know um, some people are really like, they'll read chapters and chapters of the Bible like and study. Like, I really have to work to do that. But I know like a verse will stick with me and it'll just be my verse like for that week, for that month, whatever it is. Not that I don't read more than one verse, but it has to sustain us. He, his words, every word that he says has to be that very life inside of us. And actually, like, it reaches a point where like I can say all these words, but I can't actually convince you of it. It has to be personal and it has to be something that you walk out with him. But I would just say, just as an invitation, just know that when you come to the table and when you allow him to sustain you and to be that first and most thing, what he will do in your life. Like, what he will do, whether you're struggling and he need, he, you need him as the friend or whether you are needing an answer to something and you need him as counselor, like he will always be that. And if we, like that's just, that's just being like in worship, in life, like because I'm so oriented towards doing and building and strategizing, but I've just come to the place and said, God, if I just stand up here and I just am and just in love with you, like if I just show what it looks like to love Jesus and I'm so far away from where I will be, but that's like, that's my life, like, that's all that it's about, is just pointing, pointing you to Jesus, you pointing others to Jesus, being pointed at Jesus. He just is everything. He's first and most. He's first and last. He's all of it. He just has to be. So he promised us an overflowing cup. How many of you want revival? So that's like a church word. But what is revival? It's just when he's there. Uh, that's what I want. How many of you want to see city transformation? Well, how do we do that? It's by keeping him first and most. It's by knowing what he says. Who can change a nation in a day? 
He can. He's always going to be the right answer. So, Song of Songs. How many of you read that one often? Song of Songs 8, 6 through 8. This is in the message. It says, hang my locket around your neck. Wear my ring on your finger. Love is invincible, facing danger and death. Passion laughs at the terrors of hell. The fire of love stops at nothing. It sweeps everything before it. Floodwaters can't drown out love. Torrents of rain can't put it out. Love cannot be bought. Love cannot be sold. So, Father, we just thank you. God, we thank you that your love is so powerful. Father, in every aspect of who you are is covered in your love. It can't be separated from you. Father, we just thank you, God, that, that we just choose in our hearts, if you want to do that, just choose in your heart. Say, God, I just choose to make you first and most. And in any area of our life where he, he's become a little less than and where things have tried to uh, rise above him, God, we just put you, we put it back in the right order. You're first, you're last, you're in the middle of it all. Father, we just thank you, God, that you are our sustaining force. God, you are the thing that sustains our life. You're the very bread that we eat. You're the air that we breathe, God. Father, we just come and we just love you. God, and I thank you that you are always with us. Father, and I just ask that in your kindness you would lead us to repentance. God, bring us back to you. God, I ask in your love, God, that you would bring us to a revival. God, not of, not of religious terms, not of traditional ways of thinking, but a revival because we're so in love with you that the world around us can't help but to change. So, God, I thank you that as each one in this room leaves today, God, they don't leave without you. They don't leave you here, but you go with them, Father. And, I, God, and I thank you that you would be each one of our sustaining force in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.